Welcome to Your Mental Breakdown, the podcast where you get to follow along with the client in real therapy sessions. And you'll hear two licensed psychotherapists, that's us, breaking it down afterwards so you get a better understanding of what we do and how we do it. And this week, we'll talk about the highs and lows of watching our dogs on webcams, the joys of home repair, toilet hygiene, and tushies. In the session, Drew connects his long-standing fear of losing mom with trying to keep people in his life, even if that compromises or sacrifices his integrity and boundaries. And in the breakdown, we dive deeper into the trauma of Drew's mother overdosing. We look at how Drew coped and how his defenses are still very present for him now. Stick around. I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. The podcast. How have you been entertaining yourself these days? Well, other than watching dogs on webcams. <laughs> so I'm my sister, we're going to be gone. All of us are going to be gone for a couple of weeks. So my sister is trying to find trying out places for the dogs to be. Right. And there's this one place that's just like paradise for dogs with pools and they each have their own bedrooms and people beds and shit. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I know that one, like up in the canyon, up in the mountain. Somewhere far, like so far. Anyway, so yeah, there's nothing better in my opinion than watching dogs on webcams when it's your dogs and then playing with other dogs. I looked and I saw this big fat bulldog on a like, this little like boat thing. I was like, yes. Yeah. My, my old dog, Franklin used to go to daycare and I would love when he'd play with other dogs and, and they would give you the report at the end of the day yes. when you pick them yes. up. Like, Oh, Franklin played with Bucky and Shasta <laughs> and <laughs> diet Dr. Pepper. I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay. But there was one webcam experience that was oh, gut wrenching for me, <laughs> which was I was doing a trip with a buddy. We went across the Rockies for about a week. I was at his place in, in Colorado uh, before we headed out to the mountains. And I just checked in on him. And on the webcam, I could see it was nighttime and they were bringing out all the cots for the dogs to sleep on. And my dog was just sitting there. Franklin was just sitting there staring pretty much at the camera at the gate. Like, this is when dad usually picks me up. No. He'll be here in a second, I know it. And you see, like, it, it's almost like in the movies when they do, like, the, the the one person is standing still and then it's, like, fast action all around them. Yeah. Where they're, like, moving oh, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. Happening. It's like all these cots are coming out and dogs are claiming their cots and all on the beds. And Franklin's just sitting there staring at the camera longingly. And it was, oh, gut-wrenching. Sad. And you just sat and watched it. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy was like, dude, you have to turn that off. <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you're 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 doing some some doggy daycare duty. Sure am, <laughs> and uh, yeah, got some new curtains, so that's fun. To go with your pillows. To go with all my pillows. Yep. Did you did you wean out the bad ones? Are you are you still fourteen new pillows lying around the house? I kept them all. Did you really? Yep, sure did. <laughs> yep, I just couldn't do it. I was like, they're all good. There's only one that I'm hesitant about, but I'm like, I'm not fucking returning just that one. Yeah. Not worth it. So what about you? Anything exciting? Sure. I, I have, <laughs> I, I had some excitement in my bathroom 
which was okay. <laughs> my bathroom sink was not functioning very well. And I am not handy at all. Like not at all. If you had a problem in your house, be like, yeah, call somebody. Like it would not occur to me to go on YouTube and try to figure out how to do something. But <laughs> now that we're all stuck at home, I'm like, all right, let me, uh, let me see what I can figure out here. And I went on YouTube and it was, it said something like, oh, the aerator on your sink just needs to be cleaned in, in white vinegar. Like it's yeah. not the air that, that can't be possible. I mean, it's coming out messed up. So maybe that's true, but it also doesn't turn off very well. Like you turn it off and it runs for a second. Like there's no way it's that no way. So I soak it in vinegar, brush it with a toothbrush. Like I do exactly what they say on YouTube. Fine. Whatever. I'll put it on. I put it on, turn it on turn it off. works perfectly. No way. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I remember talking to a That's buddy so of mine exciting. who's like a, a, a contractor guy. I mean, he's got a construction business. He, he does contracting work. And he would say, I, I fixed like one little thing around the house, like a doorknob. And I was like, I felt like such pride that I, that I fixed something. Oh yeah. It was amazing. He goes, yeah, that that's what you get every time. That's what I do. I mean, imagine building a house. It was like, Oh no. <laughs> 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 nope. I can imagine building a Lego house. I mean, those are hard too, by the way. That's true. They are. Actually, white vinegar is used for so many things. I just recently found out that if you wash towels, I can't remember which order goes first, but first with baking soda, like in your washing machine or baking powder, one of those. And then with white vinegar, it like reinvigorates them. You know how over time your towels get crunchy? It brings them back to life. Reinvigorates them? <laughs> Better than tied with bleach? Yes. It like <laughs> uncrunchifies them and makes them young again. So you fix your of sink. crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> I did fix my sink. It felt amazing. I mean, it really feels like a brand new bathroom. And all I did was soak the sink little piece in vinegar for a half an hour. When was the last time you bought a new toilet seat. Cause that's always fun. I do that fairly frequently. Did that when we moved into the house, bought a new toilet seat. That was maybe four years ago now. Well, you think I'm due? I mean, I don't know. Take a look at it. They're so cheap and it's like, you could just install them yourself. And then you're like, Ooh, it's like a new toilet. It's a good time. Huh. Just a thought. Yeah. I remember <laughs> in my younger days, I really loved the ones that were like plush you know, the, the plush. Oh my God. Seats. Yes. Like yeah, the plasticky kind of plush seventies ones. Totally. Absolutely. Those were so fun. Yeah. And now I'm like, that sounds so horrible. Horrible. I think the craze, I don't know if it's a craze, the, the bidet. My brother-in-law is obsessed. My, he's really? going to kill me right now, but <laughs> it's called a tushy. I love that we're doing a section on toilet hygiene. I right know. Now. <laughs> it's called a, his is called a tushy. You can like attach it. You don't have to have a separate bidet. You like attach it to your toilet. Right. Exactly. That's and we go out means. of town and he's like, I miss my tushy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. I will say oh that, that sitting in like it used to be the days of going to sporting events and concerts bring in a tushy cushy. Like you bring with you the little carry thing. It's oh. like the memory foam. And it's, it's like, oh, that is phenomenal. Like what a great way to watch a ball game is to sit on your tushy cushy instead of like the hard plastic seats. Why don't we bring those on airplanes? I don't know. One for your ass and one for your neck. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, speaking of asses and necks. <laughs> speaking of tushies. <laughs> 
speaking of absolutely nothing related to the segue we're going to make to the session with Drew. Yes. It's interesting. He's still processing the breakup, which you guys will get to hear some of. And we're getting to a place as he's kind of looking at himself and strengthening himself where he's, I think, going to start going into some things related to him, things on a little deeper level. You think? Well, I know. You think? I feel like you already know. Well, you actually know also because you've heard this session. I do. You guys haven't, so let's us shut up for a second. You can listen. We'll be back. And we'll talk to you soon. It's crazy. It's a crazy it's a wild world, man. It is. It yeah. is. And, and like, I thought I knew a lot of it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know anything. Well, it's getting the experience of it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Absolutely. look at you. You've been, like, for the last, like, five minutes we've been talking, yeah. you've been smiling. Like, yeah, crazy. I, I love this. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. We talked about leaving your mark and making your mark and what that is. You make a mark and you, and you make a, a splash in something, and then the ripples come out, and all these people are either stealing from you or paying homage to you. Right. Right. Which is a very, uh, in my mind, a very fine line. It's tricky because you don't want to mimic anybody necessarily, but that's what the fashion world is. It, totally. There's is. nothing new. Right. There's nothing new. It's all recreated, refurbished, redone in some way. It's never new, but it's always new. There's, there's always something different about it, which is exciting. And it, I've never really had creative like writer's block, mm. you know, but that's something I've found like starting my new stuff of like having like a block some days mm. and like figuring out what to do with that. Yeah. Because I have so much more time on my hands now and I don't have sure. to be everywhere all at once. Yeah. And, and so it's letting me like slow down and, and like figure that part of my life out too, which is kind of crazy because it's like I can do anything I want. How you, I mean, I see excitement in that. It is. Which is awesome. Yeah. But I'm thinking, okay, recent breakup, time alone, <laughs> yeah. not the go, go, go 24-7. That could be like uneasy, uncomfortable time. Right. But maybe the spin is new and different and it's exciting. Let's see what fills it. It's a, it's a little bit of both. Ask me one hour, it's one way. Ask me the next hour, it's the other way. Mm. Because I definitely find myself like sitting there and like thinking a lot. I just think it's um, part of the process. You know, I, I think that's kind of where my head's at. I, I don't think I'm sad anymore. You know, I, I think I'm still a little bit upset, a little bit uneasy, but I'm not like, oh my God, type of thing. Right. It, it's more so like, I'll think about it, I'll go through it, I'll process it, and be like, okay, now I'm good, and then move on. Hmm. Which, is, it, it's it's nice, it's still yeah. happening, which I hate, but it it, it is. Yeah. You know? It just is. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Because it's trying to fight it off or trying to make it not, not there. That's when we'll start... We've talked about this before, mm-hmm. like distracting or doing something negative, working too much, smoking too much weed, right. you know? Now it's not just to go to sleep. Now it's so I don't have my mind wandering off on this thing, you know? Right. Any of those things. Yeah. And I think you're, you're at a place where you're just kind of allowing it to be what it is, letting mm-hmm. it come, letting it pass. And if it comes and hangs out for a while, you're like, okay, that's part of a process. I can let it be there and be uncomfortable for a minute. Because at the time, I need to do something to distract myself. Because, I mean, when it hit you, yeah, it hit hard, mm-hmm. you know, big time. And that's why you were even like, hey, can I see you another time this week? Like, yeah. And it's pretty mm-hmm. impactful to begin with. Right. And that initial impact may have subsided. And okay, now you're in a little better place to kind of take stock of it or mm-hmm. just allow it to be. And I don't know if you're doing the taking stock part. Yeah, I I am. And I think I think the thing that's bothering me still is kind of how we left things. And that's kind of weighing on me now. It's just that that looming doesn't feel finished. What would finished even look like? 
I think to me, it's a weird half and half. It's like, I still want to be friends. I still want to talk, but I know I'm not ready for that yet. And so it's like, I think there's time for that. I'm just not good with knowing that like, oh, give it a couple of years, give it a couple of months. It'll be fine. I want it now. And, and I think I'm pa- practicing patience a lot more now. I've been working on saying no and like, like doing like what I want to do. Yeah. It's okay to have a no in there and still be okay. And I think flipping that on the old girlfriend, it's like I never had the opportunity to say no. The ball's always in her court. And right. now that I kind of took that power again of saying no to her, it felt mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. But the flip side is, is my other like little troop in there of like, oh, go reach out, go say hi, go just go. So I, it's kind of like a battle in there. That battle, the intensity of it will lessen a little bit yeah. as you keep doing what you're doing. We'll strengthen some of that too mm-hmm. ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. First and foremost, I got to highlight mm-hmm. how phenomenal that is, right? Because yeah. we're giving you, your brain, the frames of reference and the experience of saying no to others, saying yes to myself, what that feels like, how they respond to that, yeah. and how I feel and how I respond to that. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. You know, I love that you're doing that and walking through that. Yeah. And that speaks volumes to how you take what we talk about in here and really put it into action and effect in your regular life. Right. right? Awesome. The mm-hmm. part where I still want that, I still need that. I'll go more towards want than need. Yeah. Just because I know better. Yeah. You might know better intellectually, but your brain hasn't experienced better yet, hasn't experienced yeah. different yet. Right. It's still that, wait, this isn't okay. Because that's partly I want that certainty. I want that knowing mm-hmm. and that little Drew thing, which I want you every time I say that, you yeah. smile. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you know where I'm going. And, and I want us to go there if we can. Yeah. Right. Looking at like, what, what is that? Yeah. Part of what is that is looking at why is it there? How Mm -hmm. did it get there? Mm -hmm. And the other part is, okay, well, what do I do about that? Yeah. And sometimes one or both of those will compel us. Mm -hmm. When I have clients that come in here and just like, why is my brain like that? Why am I like that? Why is it happening? Where did that come from? What, you know, and they want to play investigator. We could do that. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes we're not as compelled. We're just like, how do I do something different? I think the the bigger overlying thing in all of this is the abandonment thing that I've been dealing with my whole life. I don't know what that is yet. You know, I, I don't know like the direct source for like one person, eight people, all of it. Yeah, I don't know like the whole background of all of that. I know that there's an underlying issue there. When people walk out of my life, they always walk out of my life forever. It's like nobody's mm-hmm. ever came back in like a, a meaningful way. It's never been the same. It's never been better. Yet. Yet. We've been talking about yet. brother. Right. 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 Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be meaningful, but I'm just highlighting like, yeah, yet. We, yeah. Don't, we don't know yet, but yes, you're right. Your experience of mm-hmm. is, oh no, when there's an abandonment, yeah. it is lasting, period. Yeah. And we've talked about it enough in some ways yeah. to know that a big part of where that initially comes from mom right i don't want to discount how startling and traumatic it was for you at 16 right even that that couple years of when you realized she had an an issue Mm -hmm. i mean we say oh yeah she had an issue we don't know what her issue was in her own head and i mean in the same way that you and cousin were talking about what was going on for you guys Mm -hmm. that was being a little more familiar with the issue but all we knew at 13 was moms into pills and alcohol to escape or something. I don't even know if you knew why. Yeah. You just knew it was happening and there I'd find her, and, you know. Mm-hmm. But at 16, that was a lot different. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. and, and if we need to play investigator and go, where does this come from? Why is this there? That's a pivotal time. That was so traumatic. Mm-hmm. So that idea of somebody going away and never coming back, right. you know, even though that fear was probably there earlier, mm-hmm. that was to me the most traumatic of that. It's a lot more real. Yeah. You know, it was the first time it was actually like in my face, like this is happening. I don't know. I, I've been thinking about like that day a lot recently for some reason. And I don't know why. I don't know. I, I, I guess full story of like what actually happened was I got up and for whatever reason, I just had a nudge to like go check on her. Like she was in her room sleeping. My dad, I don't know where he was. He, he was either on a trip or, or he was out to dance. He was, he just wasn't there for some reason. I don't, I have no right. idea why. And so whatever reason, I, like, nudged to, like, go in there and, like, I checked on her. Just nighttime, daytime, yeah, weekend? nighttime. Yeah. You know, it was probably 8 o'clock. You know, it wasn't, like, middle of the night, but it was, it was definitely nighttime. Yeah. And so I walked into her room, and I was like, hey, mom, you up? And nothing. And so I walked over, and I, like, I was like, hey, you up? Hey, you up? Shaking her to see if she'd wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and she just, like, just laid there, laid there. And that's why I was like, okay, like, this is weird. Like, some, something's wrong here. And anyway, I just had that feeling. And that's when I was like, okay, like this happens before, like she'll wake up tomorrow, like we'll all be okay. And then I kind of, I like left, you know, I, I didn't do anything about it. And then my my dad, he actually came home and I was in my room smoking. And then actually I looked outside, there's an ambulance, came around and I looked down and I saw my mom like on a gurney, like just like not, like she wasn't awake. She was completely not awake. And then I, I like pretended like I didn't see anything. So I didn't want to walk down there. I didn't want to do anything. I just went back to bed. And then the next morning. You my, went back to bed? Yeah. And slept? Yeah. I got really fucked up. I was yeah. just going to say, you must have been high yeah, or something. Yeah, I was really fucked up. Okay. Yeah. And then the next morning, me and my dad kind of had a conversation of like what happened and why. And so when I say that I found her unresponsive, it's what happened. But it wasn't like I picked her up, ran to the hospital with her. Right. In my recollection of like that event, it was more so that I wasn't there to help her. Yeah. You know, I left and I thought everything was okay and it wasn't. Yeah. And that's what fucked me up really bad. Yeah. And, and I thought that like if anything were to happen, it would be on me because like I didn't do anything about it. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. And, and I feel like I blacked out a lot of that from like my adult brain. Hmm. I remember bits and pieces of it, but I don't remember the full thing. And that, that's a protective mechanism too. Yeah, right? but it's like the the thing I've been thinking about like lately is like what do I remember that was real? And like what did my brain make up in that scenario? I think you're actually probably the only person I've ever actually told that to. Mm. Just because like I I don't want to make anything up. You know, and that's my fear of telling that story. Right. So I, I don't want my mom to be shedding any like bad light. I don't want anybody to like think bad about her, which is why I don't really tell people about it. My problem with everything that happened was that I wasn't there and that I didn't do enough and that if I would have called my dad when I found her like that, yeah, she's still alive, but like, it still fucked her up. Like, she wasn't the same after that day. Man, I feel, I feel that very much so. Yeah. And you do too, deeply. Yeah. There's one word you didn't use, and I love that you didn't use it, but I think that feeling was there, and that's guilt. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's where the, you know, the stages of grief is we talked about with your girlfriend, like yeah. the, the bargaining. Mm-hmm. It's not like that's part of our response to a lot of trauma. Yeah. Right. We get the shock first. And then that bargaining that goes on in our head is trying to make it so it didn't happen. It's, mm-hmm. it's the when we're talking about radical acceptance, mm-hmm. blaming ourselves for how something is. 
Yeah. And it should have been different. I should have done this. Right? Yeah. It just is. Yeah. And there's a reality we'll never get to know. Mm-hmm. And that's, had I done something different, would there have been a different outcome? Yeah. And maybe that night it wouldn't have happened, but two nights later it might have. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, a year later, it did happen again. Yeah. You know, and you probably, tell me here, mm-hmm. beat yourself up in a very similar way for that one because you were out of town. Yeah. You know, I was a couple hours away and I came home right away, but I ended up sleeping at my best friend's house that night and my parents picked me up the next day and like we had the same conversation like all over again. How was that? I got really defensive. I actually do really remember this. We were sitting in his driveway. Um, my dad was talking to his parents, just kind of giving them a rundown on what happened. And so I was sitting in the car with my mom and she was still fucked up and she just started like bawling. She couldn't say, like she couldn't talk. All she could say was, I'm sorry. And I didn't accept that. So I was like, if you were really sorry, you wouldn't be doing this. You know, so I, it kind of turned more to, uh, I don't accept you for this. I mm. don't accept your apology. Like, this isn't okay. Yeah. And I didn't talk to her for a while after that. I, like, I don't trust you. I don't trust anything you say to me. I don't, I don't want to tell you anything. Mm. Kind of after that is when, like, when I would get home from school prior, I would sit, talk to my parents. How's your day? What happened? What'd you learn today? That kind of thing. And then kind of after that, it shifted more into, I'm going to go straight upstairs, not say anything to anybody, go smoke and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I got like really isolated. Yeah. I struggled in junior high making friends, not so much in high school because I just said, fuck it. And I was like, I'm going to be the fun kid and, and do drugs and be whoever you guys want me to be. And I, I think that's a lot of where I'm struggling with right now is because I've never really found who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I always looked for people to tell me what was cool or fun or, or, or who I should be. And, yeah. and I think that really shifted after that night. How so? Well, because my mom, I, I felt I felt like my mom didn't want me for me. And if my mom didn't want me for me, like who who would? Mm. And so it was more of like, okay, I need to radically change. Because like, if my parents don't want me as is, mm. how are my friends going to? And so it was like a shift in my brain of like, I'm not okay. So I got to change something. And so I did. Hmm. I mean, I was a 4.0 student in junior high, and I think I graduated like a, like a 2.1. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so, like, everything just kind of, like, went downhill as far as, like, grades. And, like, I started making a lot more friends, but I started partying a lot more and not coming home and sleeping around and, like, doing whatever I wanted to do. Right. And there was a girl I dated on and off in high school for, like, four years. And that relationship was fucked up. Like, that was a fucked up relationship. How so? We would be together for like six months and then break up for like three months and then get back together and then break up and then get back together and break for like four, four and a half years. She cheated on me with my best friend twice. Oh, yeah. She was with me through a lot of like my mom shit. Yeah. And it was just me and her, you know, like throughout like most of my high school stuff. Yeah. So I I definitely have a special spot in my heart for her. Hmm. But it was a fuck, like, it was just a wild relationship. And then a week after that, I started dating an old girlfriend who I dated for four years after that. Yeah, you talking about her. Yep. And then we broke up, and a week later, I started dating an old girlfriend. Wow, so you've been with somebody... For the last, like, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is new territory right now. This is, like, brand new. For sure. I've never, I've never done this. Well, I can tell you this with certainty, you are in a better place to be on your own now than you ever have been in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I can feel that. Yeah. You definitely feel that. And it's hard to have anybody respect your boundaries when you don't have them for yourself and you can't show them to anybody else. 
right? right? You can't enforce a boundary. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't feel good about a boundary when it's not there. And a lot of how you were talking to me about things like, oh yeah, when people abandon me and they leave, they never come back. And, you know, this is how it is. And I'm not okay. And all, all that, mm-hmm. all that to me, there's a constant there yeah. that we haven't yet strengthened. But for you, that sense of strength and that constant is me, mm-hmm. my integrity, and my boundaries around that integrity. Yeah. When I know that, I'm impenetrable. Yeah. You can do whatever you want out there. Right. You know, you can go out, I'm thinking old girlfriend, you can do whatever the fuck you want. I don't care. Right. Because I know my boundary, I know how I am and where I am, mm-hmm. and I truly am okay here. Right. If you're not respecting my dream, I'm gone. Right. 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 And I don't have to control you. Right. Which is what I'm I'm realizing now is I didn't have any boundaries with her. Right. So I had nothing, I, I didn't have anything to enforce. Right. You know, which I think is another reason why it hurts so bad. Cause I never had that ability to say, okay, this isn't right for me. Right. I'm understanding that now, the more that I think about it and the more I replay it. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand how to tell when somebody's lying to me in a vulnerable way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's really fucking me up right now. Cause like we had crit, like, long conversations about like a lot of stuff mm-hmm. nothing where she really opened up about but i did yeah and i think that was one of the things where i didn't have a boundary and i just kind of like let it all go and i lost a lot of control there and i think that was one of the parts of like our breakup that affected me the most yeah and that idea of i lost a lot of control there mm-hmm. okay we well, have absolutely no control over how she is right the control that you lost was over how I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I see yeah, you yeah, shaking yeah. that like, oh yeah, no, I know that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, I, I don't know if you remember the story I was telling you the other day about uh, like hiking with a friend of mine yeah. with our dogs, yeah, yeah, the girl yeah, yeah. that I liked. And it was like, I, I'd go any trail she wanted to go. Okay. Okay. Then when I was like, no, wait, I want to go this way. And in a sense, the more you can do that and go, here's how I want to go and see if that person joins you. And compromise in a relationship. Sometimes we go my trail. Sometimes we go your trail. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think when you said she lied really well. Yeah. Well, she told you a lot of what you did want to hear and you listened to that. Yeah. I see, you know, those those white cars and I'm going to ignore the red cars. Exactly. Or in a relationship, the red flags that come up. Sometimes they're just caution flags. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. It's understandable. Almost every human is going to ignore flags in the beginning of a relationship anyway. Right. But there were enough of them that we talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, we went through this a few weeks ago, too. She wasn't telling people at work. Right. And then she threw it in my face when we broke up. Right. Forget her for a second. Yeah. Because if I was her therapist, yeah. and I'm not, yeah. and neither are you, yeah. and we're not going to be. Right. But we go, oh, so you do like when people know and what's going on. I mean, she probably doesn't. She's probably just like affected by people knowing the business and knowing what's going on. And, right. Right. For you, I think what was really getting driven home by that was, oh, yeah, when I'm just open about things, mm-hmm. yeah, it's easy. I don't want to conceal anything. Right. Yeah, I'm going out with you. Yeah, Work is fine with it. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Oh, you're not? That's a red flag. Right. Not just a caution flag. That's a red flag. Yeah, big red flag. Yeah. And that, that almost typified a lot of your interactions where she wanted to do her own thing mm-hmm. and keep a lid on what you guys were doing. Right. And that's not your integrity. So when you have that as your constant and that boundary around that integrity, go, hey, look, if you want to be with me, you need to be open about it. Yeah. You know, which is, I think, more along the lines of where you are now. Mm -hmm. But then she was giving you enough of the, 
the white car stuff that I could overlook that red car. That was a fucking fire truck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. With the sirens on. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm not trying to blame myself for any of this. Cause I, you know, it just, it is what it is, but I, I think I had to go through all of this to understand where I actually stand morally right. and what I want and to be able to build that backbone in a sense to say no. Yeah. Cause I never could with her. It was, I don't know why, but I could never say no. I couldn't anything she wanted, whatever she wanted, it was happening. It was never a, oh, I can't do that right now. And that piece yeah. goes back to what we were talking about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, I can't be bad right. or mom will die. Right. Right. Mom will take her life if I am bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think of that. I see how the two connect. I think the mom situation is affecting me now because I want so bad for people to be in my life forever. I, like, I, it's so hard for me to lose people when I get close to them that, like, I'll do anything to keep them there. Like, anything to just keep Is them. it up to you? No. It's not my choice. Like, at all. But it's, uh, I feel obligated to keep them in my life. Can you? I could try. And I, I don't know if I can, but I, like, in my mind, I can try. I mean, you used the word but in there. Yeah. Like, that was telling to me. Yeah. Right? Because but invalidates. Like, right. I love you, but yeah. when you, like, yeah. when you don't love me, right? Yeah. It, it invalidates what just came before. And right. you said, look, I, I know I can't make anybody stay. But. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now you're laughing about it. Because it's like, I'm thinking back like two years ago, maybe three years ago, kind of like where my mindset was. And I lived my life in a very fluid, open hand, come and go as you please type thing. And I'd never been so happy in my life, mm. you know, because I didn't, it's not that I didn't care about people. Right. But I was, I was very okay with the in and out. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of once I moved here and I was searching for the people I had back home, I was really looking for like the good, solid people I can put my life into. Right. And then I thought I found one and I was like, okay, cool. Here's every, like, here's everything at that point that I was searching for it. I was looking for it. And, and I think that was my problem in that specific case of I got so caught up in keeping you and holding you mm-hmm. that I lost track of my fluid life of letting you come and go. Totally. And that searching that you did, yeah. you were looking for it outside of yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm doing right now. What? I'm searching for it outside of myself again. You know, I, in my mind, I know I'm supposed to be looking at for like, what do I want to do? Where am I strengthening myself? Mm-hmm but I'm still looking for it. Mm-hmm. I'm still searching for it. I'm still, let's go out to meet people. Let's do something just so we can go run sure. into somebody new. Sure. You know? Where's the real search? In, yeah, in me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're looking at me like, yeah, what yeah. the? Like cliche. All right, therapist guy. Right? The way that we were talking about things. Yeah. Of knowing my boundary, mm-hmm. knowing my integrity yeah. is at that core. Yeah. That's the good I'm searching for. Yeah. The more that I can bring my integrity out and be my integrity mm-hmm. and have that boundary around that, the more I will attract that kind of good into yeah. my circle, right? Yeah, totally. Those are the people that that will come through. And it's the more we're looking for something, that's why red card, white card, mm-hmm. you know, well, why we went yeah. through that. Yeah. I, if I'm looking for white cards, I'm going to see them. And I did in Old Girlfriend. I saw a white car. I wasn't looking for the red. Right. Or I overlooked the red. Right. Okay. 
that's what happens when we look outside of ourselves for some of these things. Yeah. If we can look inside and go, right, it comes from my integrity, my core, how I really want to be and my boundaries and what I am okay and not okay with, mm-hmm. truly, mm-hmm. knowing I can't control anybody else. Yeah. And that's yeah. not my place to. Right. Even though I think that it is. Yeah. I feel like it is. I think that I know it's not my job, but I feel like it's my, it job. Is my job. Totally. And that's, oh man, that's a really tough thing. Yeah. You know, and you're talking to somebody whose actual job <laughs> is to do that with people, yeah. right? It's rough. Mm-hmm. And the times where you have been able to do that for people and get rewarded mm-hmm. feels good and validates yeah. and sort of confirms that, yes, this is, this is correct. It will burn you out, will not feel good. And, and burnout, like, you'll be exhausted, but compassion fatigue too. Right. You know, trying to take care of everybody all the time. If we're looking for that everywhere, if that's our white car, yeah. all right, we need to shift our perspective a little bit. Right. My intention might be great, but, whew, yeah, I'm getting exhausted doing this for everybody. I'm burning, and I've got nothing left for me. And my barometer for this is skewed because I'm only seeing one side, not the other. Yeah. You know, and that's the, I think I showed you that little comic of Superman with the mm-hmm. cape, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, sitting on the therapist's office, like, yeah, when is it my turn? Yep. Yeah. That's the reciprocity in a relationship. Mm-hmm. That's what we're truly looking for. Right. We have to do our part for that, though. And our part isn't just being so giving of somebody and hoping that they're giving of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because they'll just take. Right. That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Absolutely. Are you going to find girls that will take you giving of yourself to them well yeah right yeah no shit why wouldn't you right and like it's not even like you're a bad person it's just like that's like why would you not absolutely so we're looking for that reciprocity and it comes from how how do i want to be treated not just how do i want to treat somebody Mm -hmm. knowing what kind of person i am it's Mm -hmm. it's a huge thing we've got more to walk through with this which we will because you know i i like that we're talking a little more about mom i think there's there's more there for us to unpack for sure and more there that's going to be such relief and release for you you didn't say the word but i i feel it so strongly that you know the word right Mm -hmm. that guilt well and there's a lot of shame i think that comes with all that too because it was just so embarrassing you know i mean like i remember i was i was playing football we played at the seahawks stadium and like it was a big day for me i was like 12 years old 13 years old and like i was playing at nfl stadium i was like holy shit this is dope awesome you know, my homeboy came back home with me and we were walking out of the stadium and my mom just ate shit. Like, just ate shit. And and my homeboy said, oh, she's fucked up. This is so funny. Like, ha ha. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea. You have no idea how embarrassing this is. And like, this is a constant everyday thing for me. You know, yeah. and then like, it kind of bounced off of that. You know, I, I was graduating high school and like, I got fucked up before I walked because that's where I was at that time. It's not good or bad. It's just what it was, what it was, right. you know, but right. I looked up in the stands to like see my parents. And when I first got there, they weren't there. And I was like, okay, weird. And then I got more fucked up. And then when I was walking, like my mom was so fucked up that she was like, like hands in her face, like sleeping. And like, she didn't even get to watch me like go across. And like, it's just stuff like that, where it's just like, you're my mom. Yeah. You know, you don't get to see, like, the biggest pieces of, like, my life. And it's, it's not that she doesn't, like, hear about them now, but she wasn't there when they were happening. I want to flip it and go from your perspective. Yeah. Just for a second. Yeah. Yes. 
That's true. You're my mom. You don't get to see this. Okay. And I'm me. Mm-hmm. I'm really disappointed yeah. that you didn't see this. Yeah. I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. Not I'm ashamed of this. I'm embarrassed by this, you know, yeah. by how you are, but me, like, yeah. I don't know that you've allowed yourself to feel disappointment in her. Mm-hmm. Shaking your head? No. Not at all. No. Because of the, I could have done something. It's my fault. If only I had been better. If only I had been there. Yeah. No, because I, I like graduation wise, I was like, well, if we could have all just gone together, she wouldn't have had the ability to go to a bar and go get fucked up before. Then. Yeah. I'll say it one more time today because we're out of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you only get one more. <laughs> I will say it 32 times next week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't have control over her. Yeah. And it is not your fault. Mm -hmm. Really. Mm -hmm. The choices that she's making, and some of them might not seem like choices because she's an addict or or Mm -hmm. hooked or whatever it might be. That's not your control. It's not your responsibility. Yeah. And we might know that intellectually, you haven't felt it yet because on the flip of that is feeling how sad and disappointing and frustrating mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. Little Drew is feeling those things, but it's hard to feel that and not have it expressed anywhere, mm-hmm. not have it validated anywhere. The other stuff. Yeah. I can, I can let that out. You know, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment that can come out in different places. Right. Anger, even, even though you said last week, I'm not an angry person. Okay. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. I would say that's pretty heightened because anger, as I said to you last week, is a secondary emotion. Yeah. And what we haven't tapped into yet is how incredibly disappointed yeah. and sad that you feel yeah. for a lot of this. And some of this, because we scratched at it, might be coming yeah. up in the next week. <laughs> yeah. Let it come up. Yeah. Recognize you've got a place to put it. Yeah. We'll come back in here. We'll lay it all out. Yeah. If it doesn't come up, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it might be protective mechanism. If it does, mm-hmm. don't run away from it with the weed. Yeah. Allow it to come up. Yeah. It's going to be new and different and yeah. uncomfortable. It is going to start coming up that way as we, and it's a process. It's not going to happen next week like that. Right. As we release and relieve you mm-hmm. from a lot of that burden, we're going to place a lot <laughs> of that on mom. That's okay. That's part of the process. Right. Same way we can place it on old girlfriend, mm-hmm. right? That's okay for right now. Just allow it to be and know, you know, you're in good hands, man. I yeah. got you. Yeah. I'm really proud of you for sharing this stuff. I know it's Thank you. some of the first time you're talking about some of this and it's, it's still pretty raw and it's well, still hard to understand sometimes. And like, I even, I even really thought about any of it. I mean, I have, but not like this ever and since it's happened. Right. And so it's like, I'm trying, like I said, I'm just trying to do it in an honest way. Really just don't want to say something that didn't happen or if it didn't happen correctly. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't want to say anything out of emotion. I want it to be like factual. I do. Yeah. I want you to say it out of emotion because factual, we're never going to fucking know. Right. We have no idea what the facts are and the perspectives are going to be different anyway. Right. You know, you're going to get at least four versions of it. Mm-hmm. Yours, brothers, dads, moms. Right. They're all different. They're all different. Right. And they're all probably changing and morphing. Yeah. And our memories work differently. We remember certain things. What you remember now Mm -hmm. is an impact that you're feeling now because of what you went through then. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's walk through that. I don't give a shit if you get it right because you're not going to. Yeah. I give a shit of what your experience of Mm -hmm. it is now. Right. Okay. So, 
Let's let it all fly. Just allow this stuff to come up. We're going to keep walking through this. Hell yeah. And we are back with you. We are back. So, ooh, exciting things happening in the world of Drew. Yeah, last week it was, it's been a crazy week. And this week it was, it's a crazy wild it's world. A wild, yep, yep, exactly. And actually, one of the things he said that I was like, oh, we're quoting this, is he said, I thought I knew all of it. Turns out I don't know anything. I was like, welcome to the world. And <laughs> especially now, this was all pre-pandemic. Yep. And also, I realized as he was talking that obviously confidentiality and all that, but there's a lot that we don't really know about him in terms of, you know, the fashion world and starting his own line and stuff and how he can slow down and focus more on his designing. But it was interesting because we really have no idea what he does. Right. He's told me. I figure. uh, But because he gets into, (laughs) (laughs) at the beginning of this session, you're right. Uh, he was talking specifics about his work, what they right. do, what he used to do, what he does now, what he's going to do. So we had to cut the specifics of that because yeah. it was too yeah, specific yeah. to him. And it would it might be interesting for people to hear. It might be super interesting for people in fashion, but it's not really relevant. Totally. But I just was thinking, oh, I didn't realize. I mean, I guess I figured that he designed, but he was talking about like having a creative block or something. And right. anyway... One day, Drew, I hope to be wearing your clothes, unless you only design for men, <laughs> in which case, Doug will wear them. But yeah, listening to him talk about slowing everything down and, you know, it's nice to be able to get the opportunity to do that, to shift from such, sounded pretty chaotic, and now he gets to slow down and figure out what it is he's doing, what he wants to do, both because he left his job, but also because he broke up with that stupid hoe just kidding because he broke up with his <laughs> broke up with his girlfriend yeah it's it's so interesting and we we touched on it a little here in a way that he was able to see and really feel but that idea that when you're in a relationship sometimes you put some of your stuff on hold and sometimes you compartmentalize uh-huh. it and it often slips away entirely and you lose your sense of self sometimes you will lose yourself yep. So he's starting to regain that. We we heard it a little bit last week when he was plugging into his support system right. and friends. And then then it's, oh, and let me discover myself. And and I think last weekend it was, I like going to museums. Like I like doing this stuff. Like I haven't done that in a long time. And like going to church and doing this. And yeah, I think he's he's starting to plug back in. Yeah. And now that you're taking me out of my linear zone, I'm just going to have to hop around anyway. One of the <laughs> things he talked about was was saying how mm. he became that fun guy who started to do drugs and let other people right. sort of told him what to do and what, or what was cool and stuff. Right. And so now he's struggling to figure out how to be him. Right. Which I thought was interesting. And also having been in a relationship nonstop for 10 fucking years, except for like a little bit here and there. Right. Right. I was like, dude, my life is exactly opposite of yours. Well, also, you know, he and I haven't directly said this and I haven't said this in a very clinical way to him. I've said it in other ways to him, which is he went through a pretty traumatic experience with mom Uh and took on a lot of it's my fault. So a lot of what he's reenacting in relationships is, and he even said it in this session, 
trying to make sure nobody ever leaves by yeah. doing what they want, doing what they need. Like I, I'll do anything to keep them here once they get close. Right. So one of the things I've been highlighting all along the way is his authenticity, his integrity, because that's the thing he has to offer, not what can I do to keep them around? It's what can you do that's actually you to draw them in to be around? Right. I think what he was saying about trying to figure out who he is, I mean, to that I say, first of all, you're never just one person. We're always changing and growing and there's light and dark and all of that. And us, and also you will have much more of a sense of self as time goes on and you can individuate from your parents, from girlfriends, from whatever, and figure it out more as you create your own line and design and all of it, you know? Yeah. And especially, you know, here's my bias for why I love therapy so much is a lot of how we were shaped can often be attributed to defense mechanisms, ways of coping, things that right. might've been adaptive, might've been maladaptive, you know, were good for us, whatever it was, it got us to this point, but some of these things might not serve us anymore. So as we right. shed these and let go of these, other aspects of us come out, sometimes experiencing things in the world and relationships for the first time. Oh, yes. And him pointing out or saying that all of this is beyond his control, the way we want other people to be or not have them leave or they leave and that it's totally a loss of control. And right. when he was talking about not having any boundaries with her, mm. there was nothing he could enforce, right? He couldn't even enforce the boundaries because there weren't any. Right. And so he had zero control. Totally. One of the big things I do in my work with clients and why I sound different depending on the client is, and you and I talked about this early on in the podcast when I said something was good. You were like, what do you mean good? Like for his integrity, right? it was good for that. And, and I look at the person in the room with me, what is their integrity? What's their authenticity? And I try to find it because it's often covered up with other stuff. And if you can peel away the other stuff and get to that and bring that out and strengthen that, holy crap, it's like a brand new day, brand new perspective on things, sometimes a brand new world that you can interact with. You guys talk a lot about abandonment and such an interesting word that is used and also sometimes thrown around a lot. Mm. I feel like it's possible that we can connect so many things in our life to abandonment that may not necessarily be connected. And I think not that these things aren't, but at what point do we sort of say, okay, well, it wasn't necessarily abandonment when my girlfriend broke up with me as much as it was my girlfriend broke up with me. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily abandonment. It might just be that it triggers that for him or for someone. And it's that original abandonment that created so much fear in somebody right. and the fear or that feeling of I'm not okay, this is not okay, that that threat, whether it's a perceived threat or an actual threat, we go into that state. The sense of abandonment that we're connecting into. Right, right. So it might just be connecting to that feeling of alone or scared or threatened or not okay. Yeah, kind of crazy that he really starts to get into the details of what happened with his mom. And I think at one point he said, you're the only one I've ever told or the only one I've really told all the details to or, but just the fact that he had been thinking about it a lot recently. And then, you know, was talking about that day and how, and you pointed it out or 
reiterated it. He said he just went right back to bed afterwards. Right. Pretending that he kind of didn't see everything that was happening. Right. That's pretty intense. I mean, he was young. Yeah. And and it's it's something that I love that you're picking this up. And if listeners have been hearing from the beginning, they'll know when we found out about mom's overdose, I didn't go right after it. I didn't go into mm-hmm. the trauma. I didn't process the trauma. And I said to you, Meredith, that I want it to come out naturally. Right. I will drop things along the way, but I really wanted him to bring it out when he was making a connection, when it was then relevant to something he's feeling in real time. And it reminds him of that, which is exactly what he did in this episode that I thought was like a, a great payoff. Look at you. Yeah, you're right. Totally. He even said, as as we were talking about it, you know, this is the abandonment issue I've been dealing with my whole life. Yeah. And that's when he started to kind of make the connection and go into it. And I even hinted at, we didn't go into it deeply this time, but hinted at brother. Yeah. We're building evidence and we're kind of going, right, you had a narrative where everybody I get close to leaves and they never come back. Now we're starting to challenge that and recognize it reminds us of Right. And if it fits the narrative, if that's what I'm looking for, that's what I'm going to find. Yep. It's something, the more we're looking for something, the more we'll see it, whether it's really there or not. You're going to create it. Red cars and white cars. Absolutely. Right. Right. It's the groundwork that we're laying for this stuff because now when we're doing it in terms of the people, he can go, oh yeah, it's like I'm totally red car, white carring this thing or this aspect. Like now we understand it. And then the mom thing, that's where I was saying, like, that's a fucking fire truck right there. Totally. Well, and the crazy part was, well, there's a lot of crazy parts. I keep saying that. But um, at some point he said then it when it happened again, he was out of town and he came back, but he slept at a friend's house, which was kind of the same thing, I think, as going back to sleep the first time. Right. Right. Then his parents came to pick him up the next day. And I was like, parents? And he was like, yeah, my mom was in the car all fucked up. And I was like, huh. That's interesting. Right. Why the fuck was your mom in the car after she just OD'd again? We don't know. Yeah. No, we don't. And it's it makes it really difficult when, you know, you're that young and you're trying to make sense of things and you don't really have a good environment for expressing this stuff and figuring it out and processing. Right. What you know is what helps get you through because we don't realize we're being traumatized sometimes when we're being traumatized. Yeah. I've been saying for a while, for several months, that six months to a year from now, most people are going to go, holy shit, that was traumatic. Yeah. I've been through some trauma and they'll, you know, I think I've been reading that they're saying, um, I don't know who they are, but they're saying (laughs) that there's going to be a second wave of this where it's about mental health. Oh, yeah. Right. And a rush on mental health practitioners and and this and and people like really having to process what they just went through. Because when you're going through it, you just go through it. Totally. Yeah. Other people can see it. But when you're in the middle of it, it's really hard to see all this stuff. And I mean, again, not having the parents there really to support you, or at least the mom. There was one point where he was talking about struggling to figure out who he is. And he said something about, well, his parents not liking the way he is. So he thought he would change. I I don't know if you remember Mm. that, but I was like, wait, what? Right. I think that was more him saying that he felt like his mom didn't want him for him. Got it. He wasn't good enough. So if she doesn't want me for who I am and how I am, then I need to change. 
you know, if they don't, if they don't like this, then all right, what else can I do? You know, how can I shake this up? And, and it compounds what was going on in terms of the defenses. The defenses uh -huh. for him were, I, I need to smoke a lot of weed. I need to not really deal with this reality because they won't meet me in reality and talk with me about this. Right. So I'll start smoking. I'll do this. I'll do that. And in somewhere in his head was, they don't like me for me. I'm not good enough. And he was, he said he went from being a 4.0 student in junior high to yeah. graduating with like a 2.1. And that's where I say it's it's sort of like two pronged thing. It's it's one prong being, I need to change and be different because they don't accept me how I am. And the other prong being, I'm not good enough. I'm hurting. I'm feeling. I don't know what to do. Where am I accepted? What can I do? How can I numb, avoid, hide? Right. Well, if you're not being your authentic self, you can't re be rejected for who you are. Right. You know, you're being rejected for the things that we would expect to be rejected for, like shitty grades and doing drugs and all that. Yeah. Although at 16, 17 years old, I don't know that he knew his authentic self all that well. Of he's, course. He's just trying to figure it out at a time when it's being rejected. So, well, if it's going exactly. to be rejected by parents, where is it going to be accepted? Oh, it's going to be accepted with these friends that that smoke weed or these friends that, that get bad grades or cut class. Like, cool. Then, right. then that's where I'm going to start the journey of finding my authentic self until fast forward eight years and I wind up in a therapist's office, right? Right. Not that that's a bad place to end up. It's a great place to end up. Absolutely. Well, and at some point he said that he's still searching outside of himself and that he wanted to look within. And I was thinking when he said that, like, no, we, we want to look both. It's important to look outside and inside. Because if we just look inside ourselves all the time and we don't pay attention to the outside, we could just be total fucking assholes if we don't know how other people are <laughs> responding to us. <laughs> totally. Or we could be the nicest people in the world and just be very isolated and lonely. Exactly. I think for him, it, it was him, as we were, he and I were talking about it, that idea of, you know, having people respect your boundaries, but not knowing what they are. You know, it's, right. it's hard to have anybody respect your boundaries when you don't have them for yourself. And I think... It was when you know your integrity and have your boundaries, you're impenetrable. I think I said that to him, right? Uh -huh. It's And that's the thing. I mean, I love that because I have <laughs> clients I'll refer to The Matrix, right? If you remember that movie, one of my favorites. Of course. Right? That idea that I think Neo says to Morpheus, are you telling me that I'll be able to dodge <laughs> bullets? <laughs> and, and Morpheus goes, I'm telling you, you won't have to dodge bullets. Right. And it's Dude, that like, that's so deep. Right. But it, it applies here. And it's kind of that yeah. right, when you know your integrity and you can have your boundaries around that, then, yeah, you don't have to dodge bullets. They just don't even they don't have any effect. It doesn't hurt. So true. Yeah. The other thing that he talked about that just like broke my heart for him when he was talking about how embarrassing it was. Oh, after the football game. Yeah, he well, he was talking. At first, I thought he meant just talking about it in general is embarrassing. And I was thinking like, yeah. And then I realized like, no, I think that's more shame. But when he was saying these actual events were embarrassing, right? When right. at his graduation, you know, mom's fucking asleep, like loaded or when right. after the football game and his friend's like, dude, your mom's fucked up. By the way, if that sense ever came out of anyone's mouth... Like, I would die. What do you mean? He said it as if it were normal. Like, dude, your mom's so fucked up. Like, would anybody say that? Because I feel like they'd be like, oh, sure. Yeah, was your mom okay? Yeah, but I mean, if you think about 
high school seniors or whatever grade they were in, I think if, if it was graduation, they were seniors, they know what it looks like when somebody's fucked up. I guess. Right? He had a friend OD, you know, he, he knows what that looks like. They all know what that looks like. And they could see like, your mom's not bored and falling asleep. Like, dude, your mom's fucked up. And we don't know the intonation. It could have been like, dude, your mom's fucked up. Are, yeah. are you okay? Is that okay? It's, you know, I don't think it was like, ha ha, look at that. But for Drew, that experience was incredibly embarrassing. Same as walking out of the football game and his mom being like fall down drunk or whatever it was. Like that's, that's embarrassing. And you can't just laugh it off when you've had several of these experiences when there's a lot more underneath the trigger for it for you. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. And it's crazy because I think there is some, there's a big stigma like you know, you can have your parents can be drunk. I mean, fall down drunk, maybe not so much without it being judgmental, like having judgment around it, but you're all out to dinner and your parents are like a little bit drunk. Like there's not, you know, I don't think people judge that like, oh, your mom's fucking just OD'd on pills. Like, yeah, that's not as uh, socially acceptable. True. And I, I think the more insidious thing is the judgment that he had. Yeah. Right. And what was going on for him. Because even if friends were supportive or concerned, it might hit that embarrassment for himself because it's not something that's talked about in the family very well. Oh, totally. And that's the thing that grows. Yeah. And he also has all this shame and I don't know if it's regret or whatnot about not having helped her before about just going back to sleep or about what could I have done differently? And yeah. And it's, it's goes back to, you know, what we were saying about it's my fault, you know, and for him, I think there were two very important pieces of it's my fault that are erroneous but for him they were true at that young age at that time and right he built a lot of evidence and a narrative around it one being it's my fault i wasn't good enough the other being it's my fault i wasn't there which understandable in that situation that any kid would think that well and, and what he what he kind of revealed in this one was mom deed he went in there and checked on her and didn't say anything right? He just got high and went back to sleep. Oh, that was the other thing he said in that moment. He said, well, this has happened so many times before. I'm sure she's fine. And I was thinking like, oh, really? It's happened so many times before, I guess, not the OD part, but just the finding her loaded and passed out part. Right. Totally. So for him at that time, it wasn't a big deal until the next day. And then the guilt and, you know, was there. And then the, oh shit, I should have been there. I should have, should have, should have. When was the incident with the brother? That was, I think, earlier than the actual OD. I think he described that as like, when he said, I hadn't talked to my brother for 10 years. So it was maybe like 14 or 15 Got when it. that happened. And that that was the incident where it was, you know, below freezing outside and mom was loaded and wanted to go outside and walk. And yeah. he went out there to stop her so that she didn't freeze to death. Because he, again, that if I'm not there, something's going to happen, right? I have to take care of her. Because if she passes out, no one's there, she will freeze to death. And brother said that if you go out there, I'm never talking to you again. Which is so weird. I hope we get into that more. Why the fuck he said that? Right. And what I was telling Drew in a different episode was we don't know brother's perspective on it. For all we know, this was brother's way of protecting Drew. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Don't you dare go outside and freeze to death. Like that. And don't you dare go out there and take this on yourself. It's not yours yeah. to take on. 
you know, be a kid here with me. We'll see. Let's find out. I hope we do in the upcoming episodes. His brother's getting married. We haven't even gotten to the wedding yet. Oh, I'm so excited. That's right. There's more to come. Yeah. Keep listening. And we'll keep talking. And we'll talk to you later. Because we're done talking now. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.